0: Good morning again. We do not have Spanish translation today. <clears throat> we should be back on track with that next week. Uh, if you'd like to go to King's Kids, you could do that now. Go and head on back. Our King's Kids is for about eleven or under, um, and it's not mandatory. If you want to stay in here, but do get some great teaching up there, and uh, we try to give our children the Word of God as as pure and as easy for them to understand as possible. And so it's, uh, it's not that they're going up there watching Veggie Tales. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I watched the like, advertisement for one once. Just kidding. Welcome, everyone. We are in a new book, so we're going to be in 1 Timothy today. We're starting a new book in the New Testament, and um, usually we go back and forth. So we'll try to take a New Testament book and then an Old but I just thought, <clears throat> well, I didn't really think it was just a time of prayer. The Lord was so faithful and using many different people to sort of, what do we go to next? And this book, I think, is perfect because it is uh, a letter to a young pastor um, about or really starting uh, a church in a tumultuous area. And uh, really um, half Jewish, half Greek, doesn't really know what's, uh, what way is is, is, is forward or backwards other than what he's learned from Paul through his missionary journeys with Paul. And, um, and so we're going to get an insight. Most people say, well, isn't Timothy the pastoral epistle? And so epistle just means letter. Pastoral means that Timmy was a pastor. And so Paul rose him up and started to disciple him. We read that in the book of Acts. If you want to know all about the epistles and all the books after the book of Acts, read the book of Acts because it talks a little bit about all the letters here and there, Philippi and Ephesus, which we're going to talk about today. And, um, and Paul is, uh, had picked up Timothy on his second missionary journey. He met him on his first missionary journey, but he was too small. He was too young. And so he took him after that. And he really discipled him. So today is I'm going to give you an overview of the book of the first of, of First Timothy. So it's going to be a, a light sort of sketching over the book. But I think even in this light little sketching, the theme of the book fits perfect, I believe, for where we are as a church and for where we are uh, in leadership because we really don't have a lot of leadership here in our church. We have great leadership. No, I'm not trying to say me, but in other words, we have great leadership, like we have three or four guys that have stepped up and love the word of God, but God is in the business of disciples. And so it's always moving. And if you've been at, you came to our membership and congregation meeting, we talked about this, that this is our job as a church to dig into the word of God, to let it transform us and to get discipled and then to replicate. And so even though this is a pastoral epistle, it's very much applicable to everyone, especially um, those that are in small fellowships, because that's what all these fellowships were in the very beginning. So we're going to read about 1 Timothy today, and I do want to springboard off the first two verses, because I do believe that they are, they are continuous, they blend in. Uh, Paul is always very specific. He just doesn't say things to say them. He says them very specifically in all his letters they tie in. He uses a lot of run-on sentences, but he makes very much sense. So here's 1 Timothy, verse 1 and 2. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is very similar to many of Paul's other greetings, to the other letters. Similar, not exact, similar. I believe he caters them to each one. Now to give you, I was trying to think, how could I give you a good idea of what Timothy was going through? Well, i was suckered one time into coaching my youngest son's flag football team now you may say all right no problem but when i say young i don't mean like 11 12 or 8 and 9 i mean 4 5 and 6. now i don't know if you've ever heard of stray cats but that's what it's like cats all over the place trying to get them onto a field and play football and But the funny thing was is I didn't know that's what I was getting into. I just simply checked off the little box on the registration form that said I would help assistant coach if I was available. So when I got there, I went to the field in East Windsor, and there was just hundreds and hundreds of kids. East Windsor has the largest flag football league, I think, around. And the, they just started that year with this young, young division, four to six years old. And so when I got there, there was about 28 four- to six-year-olds, and there were no parents at all, no dads, no moms that were able to coach other than me. And so the first couple of practices were crazy, because what they did is they gave me all 24 kids. Instead of breaking them up into teams of five, they just said, just." split them, just play with them, you know, four or five. And so that's what I had to do. And it was like a full-time job. It was crazy. Finally, I had somebody come and say, look, why don't you just stop trying to organize it, get, on the, get them all on the sidelines, and just have somebody rotate in and out. I remember my son Noah came and he helped me do it, and, and we made it work. And so it was crazy, it was chaotic, had nothing to do what I thought was going to do. It was just, it was a great bonding time with my son. But football, it did not seem like... What was what we were doing? Who knows what it was? Now, Timothy got dropped off by Paul. Well, actually, sent by Paul or left by Paul in Ephesus. And Timothy, going with Paul on this missionary journey, was supposed to stay with him and go through the whole entire uh, route with him. But Paul sent him away. Paul goes to Macedonia. Timothy goes to Ephesus to pastor the church that Paul had planted there, and it was about two years old. And the place was absolutely crazy. It was like, a, just picture a Las Vegas, like, like mushed down to the size of, let's say, the Old barrel, right? And it's just all bustling. But it's not what we would consider, you know, like the, the party atmosphere. For them back then, it was cult god, the cult of Artemis. And this was the, one of the largest Roman cults uh, around. And they had the largest temple to Artemis right there in the center of Ephesus. It was the, not only the center, it's almost like a little bit like the temple is right now in Jerusalem where people went there to pray and they went there to sacrifice. But the temple was corrupt. They were ran by a female priesthood that did all sorts of crazy heathen sacrifices, blood rituals, and when the Christianity got into that place, it got turned upside down. And so Timothy got sent there, and this place was a mess. But why was it a mess? It wasn't a mess because of all the stuff that was going on out there. It was a mess because he was converting people from this cult, and then they were coming into the home churches. And so Timothy was in that crazy situation. What did I get myself into? I'm a young pastor. I have this crazy cult going on here. I got the Roman emperor and the Roman empire persecuting me. I got the Jews persecuting us, the Judaizers trying to get us to become Jewish and Christian. And Timothy was just literally out of his mind. And he was at, uh, on top of all that, he was young and inexperienced and so can you relate to him? I can. Probably more than once in my life, more than just a flag football team being in that crazy situation, right? Well, Timothy did it and he did it faithfully. He he followed Paul's he followed Paul's example. And I believe that <clears throat> the leadership qualities that Timmy had were not something that he had. I think they were very much developed and so the one first point that I want to make that we can get out of this is that God is going to put you into situations that you are not going to expect. My daughter, my oldest daughter, said to me the other day, she said, Dad, you know, it's OK once in a while for interruptions. You know, she's always given me like this stuff that makes sense. Right. It makes me mad. Like, what do you mean? You know, but it's true. It's like interruptions. Right. God. Puts us into situations where we expect one thing to happen. We expect to go into this new job and have it all this way and, and accept. And now it's all this way. You were in a relationship. You, you, you thought it was going one way. It goes the other. Maybe you got married. You thought it was one way. And man, it's completely opposite. And now what do you do? Well, what does the world do? i see you. Must have been a wrong choice. It can't be the right choice if it's hard. It can't be the right choice if it's painful. It can't be the right choice if it doesn't make... And we go on and on and on. But God is the master at making changes in you by putting you into situations that will change you. God is the master at changing you by putting you into situations and around people that will change you. For five years in Perth, Amboy, and from 1997 to 2000, I walked three of my boxers, because I did boxer rescue, out on the street, and never once in three years did I ever pick up after my dog. I'm that guy. I went to U-Turn for Christ shortly after that. I do it, by the way. Now I have a yard now. I don't have to do it. My kids do it. But I went to U-Turn for Christ... And you know what happened? The first day I got there, if you know what U-Turn for Christ is, it's a, uh, a Christian drug rehab discipleship program. This was, this was like 20, uh, this was 23 years, 24 years ago. And the very first day I got there, do you know what the overseer did? He took all my stuff, he put it down, all my bags, and he handed me a shovel and said, go clean up all the manure and all, because we were on a farm, and all the corrals, Now, I didn't know what a corral was. I didn't know what manure was. I knew what a shovel was. And I went out and I did it. And I'm thinking and I'm going, Lord, you're teaching me a lesson here. God puts us into situations to teach. And to shape us and to change us. And they're uncomfortable and they're stinky. But we have to be able to endure. Timothy was one of those guys who did. He pastored this church for about 30 or 40 years. And as, the, as history says, legend, again, this isn't scripture, but he was martyred for um, trying to break up, right? Break up physically, okay? out there on the street, a parade or a celebration to the god of Artemis. And he was killed. He was martyred. So Timothy stayed and he endured. I'm not trying to say, well, we're going to all get martyred. But that's what we, we this is our, our business in Christianity is death to self and alive to God. So we have to be ready for anything. But Timothy, he, he went through it and he endured. And so I see this right now for us as a church. I see this great because this is what's going to make us effective in the kingdom. Not just becoming shaped and not just becoming um, you know, conditioned by our trials. But it's going to make us um, effective in the kingdom because it applies to all areas of life. It's not just church stuff. It's not just ministry. But it's everything you do in your life that God is involved in and working and to bring it. And so this for our church is what we need. It's not just Sunday service. It's not just Sunday-centric, let's go to church and let's leave. No, we're believers We're right here is the pit stop. We're here to refresh and to worship the Lord. And then we leave here. And that's when our Christianity goes into high gear. Meaning presence with the Lord, serving the Lord, being the church. And that's what Paul is so concerned about. Timothy, please stay faithful. My true child, stay faithful to what you're doing here. He's encouraging him. And, I'll, and I'll, we're going to get to how in, in one second specifically. But it's Paul who's encouraging him. The Apostle Paul. Does everybody know who the Apostle Paul is? He wrote most of the New Testament. And he was imprisoned many times. He was beaten many times. He suffered many trials. So when Paul writes you a letter and you're in a bad situation, you really don't have much room to complain and when we're in that situation and we read Paul's letter, we don't have much room to complain either. I'm not saying we should be happy and go, oh yes, Lord, I love all these trials, but know that if you're in it, you're, it's because you're in it. And that's a great place to be. You want to skate through life? Timothy, you want to have a seeker-sensitive, uh, you know, huge megachurch where everything's great and make sure your airplane uses unleaded fuel and all this stuff? No. He's not telling them, that. Ah, He's not telling, no, he's he's giving them hardcore nuts and bolts, right? This is a small, tiny fellowship. That's not what his goal was. But he was, Paul was giving it to him because he was the man who could speak that. Paul was in prison, wasn't in prison now, but he had been in prison. He's going back to prison. And so this blurb that Paul is saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, our hope of Christ, Timothy, my true child, grace, mercy, peace. Who's listening to this, right? When, when he's reading it. The churches that Timothy is over. Maybe it's just a couple house churches. But you got Timothy going up there, probably all young and scared. And all the, you know, the old guys, uh, or, you know the old theologians out in the audience are like, Oh, what's he going to say now? He's like, oh, you know, well, uh, and they start hearing Paul talk to Timothy like he is something? Paul is giving this man authority. So, Paul wrote this introduction very specifically so the people there could know that Timothy was God's man and Paul's man. The Old Testament reading that we read talked about the chief shepherd coming to Israel eventually as king and saving his people. That's Jesus. So, Jesus is the chief shepherd. Pastors and overseers are the under shepherds in submission to him, just trying to communicate and encourage and teach the word of God to people. But Timothy was looked at as a young guy in a new place who probably was a little nervous. But then they read this. And what's so special about this? Well, Paul is using powerful language here. If you look at the Greek, it says Paul, an apostle of Christ, according to the commandment, Of God our Savior. In the Greek this means according to the royal commandment. From Christ the King. So in other words. This is a decree. A royal decree. That Timothy is receiving. From Paul. Okay. It's the commandment coming from the top. God the Savior. Can't get any higher than that. And it implies kingship. And it implies territory. It implies kingdom. It implies victory. It implies support from who? God is behind you, Timmy. God is behind you. That royal command, wherever you are in your life, in that trial, in that struggle, the royal command is stay focused on God, your Savior. He is your hope. Stop getting tangled into the little details and the entanglements of this world step out in God's grace and keep us plow forward and keep moving forward. And then he gives them this, this identity as my true child. In other words, he's saying, I could say, <clears throat> you know, Noah, and, you know, my son, I always pick on my kids. They think it's fine, by the way. A lot of people say, you better watch it with your kids. No, they all know I'm going to pick on them, right? So, if I said, and I would never say this, but No is my true child, and Leah is my child, it would really be the opposite. <laughs> Noah is my authentic child, Leah is just my child, right? So, what he's saying is, is, I have kids, but you, you are my authentic one, okay? So, and again, this is not like he's saying you're my favorite, it's just that Timothy has proved himself. He is the true child. Where? In the faith. So Timmy was the real deal. True child in the faith. In the faith. His name means honoring God. Honoring God. So it's like this authentic, genuine, true relationship that he had. So we see here how this applies to us because we are then put into that situation. And so as we go through, as we go through this book, we're going to... See how all the different uh, instruction that he gives them, but what I wanted you to do is hang this in the backdrop of who Timmy is, right? He's this new, he's this this young pastor in Ephesus, Artemis, gods, like Ephesus was like um, it's like an outpost of the Roman Empire because that's how Rome worked. They would try to colonize the world, so all these cities were like mini romes and so that's, that's where he was. Timmy was right in the midst of this. And he was that child in the faith. He was grown up in the faith. But it still wasn't enough. He needed to endure through all this. And so we see this as, uh, as individuals, but what about as a church? Well, I think both. This next part, and this is where we're going to wind it up here, because he gives him what, you, what looks like a typical greeting. But Paul never, doesn't always say grace, mercy, and peace in that order. It's usually grace, peace, or sometimes it's a, a combination of the other. But I just felt here that this, these three things, especially if you're new to the faith, you know, like we have to learn to keep it simple. Like we talk, like we, we read scripture sometimes, for God so loved the world that he, right? When you finish it in your mind, and we never, we never camp out on it. We read introductions, it's grace, peace, mercy, be with you all. Like, I like to camp out on that. Because that's the Christian faith. And if you're an individual that doesn't understand, I want you to really listen here, because this is the most important component, I think, of the foundation of the Christian faith. The most important thing to enter in. And that is these three virtues. And the first is grace. You can't have an individual Christian without grace. And you can't have a church without grace. You cannot do that. You see, Paul, in First Timothy, same book, three chapters later, in the third chapter, listen to what he says. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write to you so that you will know how to behave yourself. Or how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. So why did, Tim, why did Tim receive this letter? Why did Paul write it? To show Timmy, here's how you act in the house of God. Here's how church is supposed to be like. Okay? And so here's how you have to be, Tim, encouraged. And you need the grace, mercy, and peace. But your church, the foundation of your church, must be the same thing. Now it is the grace of God that saves us. Now, what is just grace? Is grace God saying to me? Is is is, is Paul saying, "Hey Timothy, I want you to have grace in your church," and uh, that means like just have everybody, you know, work their way as much as they can and as hard as they can for God, and then God will meet them wherever they at, wherever they're at, and He will save them halfway. In other words. You do your best, and God will finish the rest. Now, that may be good for us, for our lives as a Christian, right? If I'm going to say, I'm going to try to be the best pastor I can. I'm going to do my best, and I can say God is going to fill in the blanks, and his grace is going to cover me. Everyone agrees with that, right? That's not crazy. But when it comes to salvation, it's not like that. And there's where the big mistake is. Because a lot of people take grace, and they smear it with works. Meaning, well, my salvation is by grace, but I get that grace by feeding the poor, doing good deeds, being nice, making up for my wrongs, going to church. That's called um, works-based salvation, as we know. And and those things are okay to do, but it comes from an intention like, I'm really scared now because I messed up. My conscience is telling me I did wrong. So I'm going to do two things right because I did two things wrong and that should cancel it out. But God says, that doesn't work. And the reason why is because of sin. And sin was in this church. And Timothy could have looked at those people coming out of that cult and could have been legalistic and hammered them and started putting all regulations on them. You better dress like this. You better walk like that. You better not do this. You better not do that. If you're to. That's not how it works. Timothy, have grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Undeserved favor. I'm getting something amazing and I don't deserve it. We often think, oh, wow, I got, I got over on it. But that, you see, how about when, put it this way, if you were supposed to wash my car today and I went outside afterwards at the end of the day and it wasn't done, And I called you up and I said, Don, where's where's my car not washed? I'll do it tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And it's never done. I call him up and say, I was going to give you 20 bucks to wash my car. And you never did it. Five days. I'm sorry. You know what? Here's 100 bucks. You're giving me 100 bucks. Yeah. Five days, 20 days, $20 each day. Are you kidding me? I was only going to wash it once. No, it's I'm giving it to you. What would you do? not taking that. No way, I'm not taking that. And that's what we do with salvation. I've sinned against you, God. I've really sinned against you, God. And God says, "I know. I forgive you." And you go back out and do it again. And you do it again. You do it again. You do it again. And God forgives you, and He gives you grace, and then He blesses you. Now, I'm not saying this is a formula. It's not. I'm saying that this is how loving God is in, his, in the context of his grace as sinners. We have loved him not. We have hated him, the Bible says. We were his enemies. And the, in the status of enemy is when he died for us. He didn't go, oh, they're my enemy, but they're going to love me someday. So let me focus on the love that they have for me and I'll die for them now. No, he said, they're my enemies. They hate me. They're crucifying me and they would have all done it. And man, I love them. That's grace. So your salvation is by grace. And what does this mean? That God opens your heart and doesn't, not surgery, but you know in your conscience that you've sinned. You know that you cannot do anything to overcome that, no matter how holy you are or what church you belong to or how many times you come. You know that's not going to work. And then there appears something in your eyes, and maybe something that you see in the mind or your mind. You see Christ. You see what he did. You see his death on the cross. You say, he died and bled for me. And I don't deserve it. And he says, exactly. That's love. He loved. And so now you say, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be a God hater. I want to trust Christ. And then you stop sinning. You stop hating. You stop loving your sin. You don't stop sinning. Sorry. You'll sin less, but you'll stop loving your sin and then you'll sin less and you'll love God more and you'll see this organic, natural, free relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. But you've got to turn from that sin. You've got to turn away and turn to Christ and say, Lord, I can't do it. I'm yours. My salvation rests in your hands. And when you do that, Jesus promises that he will save you. He makes you born from above. You'll now see the kingdom of God. And so then you understand the concept of resurrection because now you have that new life. He's physically alive, people. He's coming back. That has to be the foundation of this church. Without grace, none of that matters. It's the foundation of grace. The gospel is about grace. And so that has to be it. And that's what we have to give each other. Every one of us here in this church, we all think differently. We have common thinking, but we all think differently. We all have different opinions on different things. We're all passionate about different things. All right, And so we have to understand that when we communicate and when we get together, we have to build each other up in grace, even if we disagree. That's okay. So that's what Paul is when we talk about grace in the church. And it's the same as mercy. Because we will mess up, won't we? You see, Jesus gave us grace. He paid us for the work we didn't do. He saved us. Where we will pass from this world, and as sure as the skin is on your body right now, you will close your eyes and you will be in the presence of Christ. In bliss, in paradise, that's what Jesus said. And then you'll be risen from the dead with a new body. Okay, so that's what the promise is there to you from Christ. But that is also because of his mercy. You see, because grace is, 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 is basically getting what you don't deserve. But mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You deserve punishment for your sins. A judge is a bad judge if he doesn't judge with justice. And punish those that deserve it. But Jesus took that spot for us, and so therefore God's justice and His love can meet at, in Jesus, where other, nowhere else could that have ever happened. It's contradictory almost, but Jesus made it not. And so we have this—we have this grace, we have this mercy, not getting what we deserve. I'll tell you right now, this is critical not only obviously in the church but in our families, in our homes in our spouses, in our children. If you're walking around giving everyone in your life what they deserve you're a miserable person. Let <laughs> me say that with all due respect. But if you walk around being unoffended and I'm not saying I have this down but this should be our goal. We should walk around, live our life trying to be unoffendable not it, Not let people offend us with everything we hear. Everything we hear has got to... No, that's not it. Let's, let's give mercy. Let's give the benefit of the doubt. And even when we do hear that slander, God died for that sin. So, we, I know it's not easy, but this is what we have to work for, right? The grace and the mercy in our lives, grace, mercy on our church, and finally, peace. Right? Well it says peace last and I love that that's one thing Paul's always consistent with he never says to Timothy my true child peace grace and mercy or peace and grace he always says grace first why because you can't have the peace of God unless you have the grace of God now what is peace of God well first there's two forms of it here right you have peace of God, or really peace with God. See, when Christ comes in your life, God is, he, the, the, all the sins you've ever created or ever sinned on, ever uh, committed, I'm sorry, from beginning to end of your life, they're wiped out by the grace of God. So there's no courtroom anymore available for your sins to be charged in. That gives me peace. Right. If I'm ner- if I'm like anxious because I owe thirty thousand dollars to the government and now it's waived, I'm not going to be anxious about that anymore. Have a little peace. It's the same concept here. The writ of transgressions is canceled. So now you can have peace with God through Jesus Christ, and that means peace. It doesn't mean like God is chasing you and you're just like this little spider and he's trying to hammer you all the time, because that's how I used to think about God. Growing up and everything, it's just, he's going to get me, he's going to get me. But now it's like God is for you. He's for you, he's on your side as his child. If you're Christ's, and if you don't, if you're not Christ's, you're making it impossible for God. But I know with all with, things, all things, uh, with God all things are possible unless they're illogical. And you can't get saved outside of Christ. So if you think you can get there some other way, you're being deceived. It's only through Christ. And so you have to commit to that and then commit to him personally. Have that personal encounter with Christ. And so so Timothy is receiving all this. This isn't like Timothy going, yes, the grace, the mercy, the peace. But no, he knows this stuff. He's been indoctrinated with it by Paul. So he looks at it and it's like that scripture that we have in our back pocket when we're a little whatever and we pull it out and we read it. It reminds us, right? Yes. Yeah, all I'm good. And so this is what, how Paul has decided to launch this out. And I think it's a perfect way to introduce this book in terms of doctrine. Grace, mercy, peace. Because we're gonna see it laid out all through. And I have to tell you, there's going to be some controversial things through this book. Read it. All right. We're going to go through. Uh, we talk about in chapter two, we talk about who to pray for. All right. And, and, and we have some controversial things in there. Should we pray for everybody? Yes. But there's other controversial things in there. Let's see if you can pick it out. Of course, we have uh, women. Where do, is, are they allowed to preach? All right, why not? Or why? What about deacons? Okay, we talk about that. We talk about the qualifications of leadership, how to deal with apostasy, how to deal with those that are widows in our church and orphans, which is so important. And of course, motivation and encouragement for leaders. But this is all for all of us because Christian leaders aren't people with these spe- special supernatural, you know, like NFL uh, genetics. <laughs> No, it's just the opposite. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to, to confound the wise. So this here, he's, he's telling Timothy here, he's giving him these instructions, these steps. He needs it. And so read through it. Know that we're going to have, we're, gonna, we're probably going to get through this a lot faster than Hebrews. Um, but let's, pre- let's read this. Let's pray through it. Let's try to picture it as what we talked about through the vision when we talked about that. Uh, about getting us ourselves out into the community, utilizing different things that we talked about. Go back to the to the meeting booklet, read through it, because this is this is where we got to go with this. And ultimately, it's to glorify, obviously, Jesus. Now, how does this all tie into Jesus? You see, it all ties into Jesus, no matter what. But does do you see the parallel there? Uh, isn't it crazy how Christ, like, that the servant isn't above his master? Because really, Timothy is being like Christ, right? Timothy is going into this area, this this putrid, sin central. Christ came from the throne, the Son of God, and came here to be a man, and to live in this cesspool, according to where, where from where he came from. And again, he did it out of love. So meditate on that. Think about these things. Let's pray, Father. Thank you. For your word, I pray that you would give us grace, mercy, and peace, Lord, as we try to follow this book uh, in leading your church and in how we order your church. And and Lord, let us do it with grace and, and Father, guide us. I pray, Lord, that if there is anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, that they would just simply call out to you. They would just cry out to you from their heart. Oh, Jesus, I need you. Whatever. Lord, you're just so compassionate. I know you'll meet us right wherever we are. Thank you, Father, for the death of your Son and our salvation. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.